Hi, it's The Wire. It is Sunday, July 30th, 2023. Gamblersadvisory.com, a free site. Bettingangle.us, a free site. Let's talk about Terrence Crawford's victory over Errol Spence. I want people to realize the moment because we were denied this in the heavyweight division. Terrence Crawford in this uh, multi-belt era, right, four belts for some divisions, has become the first guy to be undisputed in two different weight classes, 140 and now 147. And of course, Crawford did so by stoppage as I make this video. Terrence Crawford is still unbeaten, right? This is new rare air for the sport of boxing. I know over time the values change. I understand that there are some eras where we didn't care about the word undisputed, where you had certain champions and they were great, but we didn't really bother to think whether they were disputed or undisputed. Well, just understand in this era, we value undisputed champions. And folks need to realize that Terrence Crawford has now annexed undisputed status in a second division. This is unprecedented. Usyk, who was undisputed at Cruiser, had a chance to be undisputed at Heavy, and of course Tyson Fury refused to agree to the fight. Right? That was unfortunate. Understand Inoue right now, who was undisputed at bantamweight, is trying to be undisputed at super bantamweight. He's already called out Topolis, who has two of the belts, and Topolis has agreed to the fight. So as they figure out the lay of the land in terms of contractual language, just be aware that there are other fighters striving for what Terrence Crawford has reached. This, to me, is the equivalent of being below the four-minute barrier in the mile. This is a moment boxing needs to stop and think about. Right, A professional prize fighter is now undisputed or has become undisputed in his second weight division. Right? Simply mind-blowing. Now, let me just say this, too. I have a link to a video of the fight in my description of this video. It's momentous. Now, it's not a link to the Showtime broadcast for copyright reasons. It's not. Rather, it is a video from some fans who attended the fight. I encourage you to look at it. You're not going to get the Showtime commentary, but at the same time, you get to see the fight and you do get to think for yourself. Now, I believe it's, and I consider him a great fighter, it's the great George Foreman. And understand, Foreman was around a lot of punchers, right? He is Sonny Liston's protege. He used to train with Sonny. He, of course, had a legendary corner where he had the old mongoose, Archie Moore, big-time knockout puncher, became a knockout puncher. And he had Sandy Sadler, and I want you to focus on Sandy Sadler for a second, because it's Sandy Sadler who beat 
famed boxer Willie Pep multiple times. Right, Sadler was in Foreman's corner. Well, let me just point out that Foreman put it best in discussing this Crawford Spence fight in his post fight tweets. Foreman simply said, You don't box with a boxer. Right, let's remember Foreman against Ali, Rumble in the Jungle. Hunts Ali down. Ali goes to the ropes. Has to deal with Foreman's volume. That's where we get the phrase rope-a-dope. It's actually an ingenious strategy by Foreman. I only fault Foreman for not stopping at times, backing away from Ali, preserving his stamina, right? Forcing Ali off the ropes. But understand, There are a lot of us, old-timers in the sport, who firmly believe you don't box with a boxer. In other words, you don't want to wait on a boxer. In my words, waiting in front of a counterpuncher in spacing that doesn't favor you is perilous. Right? You want to keep the boxer engaged. You want to give the boxer something he has to defend against. You don't want to stand there and decide, okay, well, let me play chess with a grandmaster. Right? So, Spence loses this fight in the first round. Right? He comes out behind a jab. Now, that would work. If Crawford insists on trying to get inside of the jab, allows himself to get busted up, right? If Crawford plays the Mikey Garcia role, and understand, Garcia is the person who recommended Crawford to a promoter when Crawford was young and unknown, right? If, like Mikey Garcia, who didn't have the reach on Spence. Understand, this is a different dynamic fight. Crawford has the longer reach than Errol Spence. Look at the specs of the fight. Right? If Crawford decided, okay, I need to walk into this jab. I need to try to get through this jab to get in the pocket. If Crawford was that guy, then Spence's strategy would have been effective. Also, if Crawford was a guy who wasn't ambidextrous, always came in on the same angle, and Spence could just keep him at the end of a jab. Then Spence's strategy would have been successful. But just understand, Spence is fighting a grandmaster. Crawford is content to let Spence throw the jab. Crawford feels that he doesn't have to get by the jab. So Spence keeps throwing it, and guess what? A boxing match breaks out. Spence has decided to, as I said before here, play chess with a grandmaster. Now this is not what Foreman would have in mind. Right? Foreman who had a great jab, spectacular jab, right? But Foreman believes that if you're the puncher, 
you need to be the puncher. You can't actually box a boxer. Well, Spence comes out in the first round, and he wins the first round. But understand, Spence allows a boxing match to set up. He's throwing a jab. Crawford's backing away from the jab. There's spacing between the two. That doesn't have Spence up on Crawford like Foreman was up on, name the person, Joe Fraser, Ken Norton, Muhammad Ali. Now let me just say here, Spence's best chance in this fight was to keep the fight at very short range. Very short range. Right? Or behind a jab at long range if Crawford insisted on walking into Spence's jab. Since the long range game wasn't available to him, Spence had to do something to offset the superiority that Crawford had everywhere other than with Spence up on him like Spence was up on Chris Algieri, right? It's the Algieri fight you should look at in figuring out how Spence should have tried to fight this fight. Now, I don't think anything Spence did would have worked, quite frankly. You know that I picked Crawford in this fight. You know I picked Crawford by stoppage, right? The best bet on the board for gamblers looking at odds, quite frankly, was the under 10 and a half rounds. I made a video on it. Said, hey, for speculators, understand the casino, because this fight was so misperceived, gave you greater than a plus 150 on that prop. If you got it early, you got it at a plus 200. You had either guy by stoppage. Not just Crawford, but Spence for the first 10 full rounds and half of the 11th. And they gave you better than a plus 150. In the comment section of this video, please, please, list the odds you got on this fight and when you bet it, if you can. Okay? Well, let me just say, as Crawford is a counterpuncher's counterpuncher, who makes sharp adjustments during fights, and who gets better during a fight. Spence had to be first. This is implicit in what George Foreman's saying. Spence couldn't wait, wait to counter and stuff like that. Folks, you're fighting a counterpuncher who's better at counterpunching than you are, right? One of the secrets to the fight, and I mentioned in the pre-fight video, is that Crawford was also better at closing than Spence was, right? But understand, if you're going to fight Crawford, the last thing you want to do is to try to out-counterpunch Terrence Crawford. It doesn't work. Rather than try to out-counterpunch Terrence Crawford, Spence needed to be first. 
he needed to smother Crawford. Let me say this. There are a lot of films out there of Rocky Marciano. Right? Think about how the greats handle things. In the comment section of this video, please, I'm encouraging viewers to list the fights where they feel Rocky Marciano spent a lot of time on his back foot. Folks, I don't think there are any. Right? You're a puncher. You understand you're fighting pretty boys. You're fighting counterpunchers, guys who, you know, know how to make you miss and then make you pay. Right? You're fighting Jersey Joe Walcott, whoever, right? Ezra Charles. In this case, you're fighting Terrence Crawford. Right? You understand you don't want to fall into the trap of fighting a pretty boy fight. You need to be firm, be on your front foot, let the other guy know this is going to be hell. If he doesn't throw, you're throwing. You're not waiting on him. Now, let me just say this. If Spence couldn't keep this fight up close and personal, if he couldn't get and keep Crawford's back up against the ropes, he was going to have problems. Well, folks, he had problems. You don't box with a boxer. So... By the second round of this fight, after Spence wins the first round, boxing at mid-range behind a jab, the problems emerge. Crawford starts countering him at mid-range. What did you expect? He has Spence's jab blocked. More importantly, he has Spence, a short-range hooker, boxing at mid-range as Southpaw Crawford is fighting as a Southpaw. Let's mention another guy, trainer Buddy McGirt. Right? The McGirt belief is that if Terrence Crawford fights you Southpaw for three straight rounds, he has you. Right, folks? I was expecting Crawford to come out right-handed for this fight. No, no, against Southpaw Spence, Southpaw Crawford comes out Southpaw. Crawford knew he was going to win this fight. Right? Let me say this too. Spence, the puncher, or at least that's what we're told, is waiting for Crawford, is trying to box him at mid-range. Crawford gets a knockdown. It's off a right jab. The Crawford right hand leads to the knockdowns in this fight. Again, Crawford's a southpaw. His right hand's his lead hand. Crawford, in the exchange, causes Spence to reach with his jab. After all, Crawford's a boxer. Crawford blocks it with his dominant left hand which he's using for defensive purposes early on. And he knocks Spence down with his non-dominant right hand. Now that's a bad omen, because it showed you that Crawford had the distance between the fighters figured out. It is Crawford landing the jabs. It is Crawford keeping Spence out of the deep pocket. In the elusive 2.0, 
YouTube film analysis, right, by Elusive 2.0. Please check out his videos. We discussed in an earlier video how, as Elusive 2.0 showed us, Spence keeps his left too low. Right? Elusive 2.0 pointed that out. It cost him in this fight. Crawford, the fellow southpaw, is coming over Spence's low left to drop him with a right power jab. Then Crawford goes in for the kill. Spence retreats to the ropes. I encourage folks to look at the closing seconds of the second round. The bell sounds after Crawford lands some shots but runs out of time. Any aura of Spence being the bigger, more powerful, more dangerous fighter is gone. Because by the time the bell sounds at the end of the second, it's Crawford who's backing up Errol Spence. Right, Spence, in essence, is saved by the bell. If Crawford has another minute in that second round, this fight wouldn't have made it out of the second round. Understand, too, Bud is a closer. Right, Bud has a knockout streak going back several fights. The idea of Bud being too small for welterweight as he's knocking out his welterweight opponents was another bit of pre-fight folklore. So now you have the third round and you need to frame this round. Frame it. Because tactically it's the best of the fight. Spence needs to prove himself. Spence needs to get back his aura. He needs to stop waiting. He needs to start coming short range, not be content at mid range. He needs to get inside. He needs to start impressing the George Foreman part of the crowd. He does. Spence gets inside. The third round is the round you wanted if you believed in Errol Spence. He has Crawford over by the ropes. He even gets Crawford's back up against the ropes. He starts to throw punches to Crawford's midsection. This is what punchers want. It doesn't last. Now, we will never know because Crawford is a gentleman who will never tell us whether in the third round he was playing cat and mouse by allowing Errol Spence to pin him against the ropes. Maybe he was overpowered. We'll be debating that in bars for years. Maybe for this portion of the fight, they're going to use it for advertising the third fight if it happens. Right? It's the most meaningful footage of the entire fight. But understand, Crawford gets off the ropes. He does so, and it's impressive. Behind a jab that lands over Spence's still-too-low left hand. Then they clinch. Then we notice that in the clinch, believe it or not, it's Crawford who's the stronger individual. Crawford turns Spence during the clinch. Then he gets back to the middle of the ring. 
Spence gets Crawford back over by the ropes, close to the corner. You thought, wow, here's where Mike Tyson finished off. Marvis Fraser, isn't it? Right, but Crawford's defensively blessed. You notice that Crawford uses his upper body to dodge the shots. In other words, folks, Spence has his moment in the third round. Now, in the video that I have a link to, this is around the 1040 mark of the video. Please take a look at it. For me, this is a major moment in the fight. Crawford, with his back up against the ropes, doesn't even try to clinch Errol Spence. Spence cannot keep Crawford from moving away. Worse, as the sequence develops and the men end up in the middle of the ring, Crawford is forcing Spence to reach with his left hook to the body. Spence can't land his best punch. Now you notice, and this is a theme of the fight, Crawford can jab Spence over his left. You notice Spence is not defensively blessed on his left side. Now importantly, and correct me if I'm wrong in the comment section of this video, you notice Spence, a southpaw, does not have the high straight overhand left to hit Crawford with. Right, that high overhand left seems to be missing from Spence's game. Right, you notice Crawford can Spence, can jab Spence over his left. That's ongoing. Now Spence wins the third round. But Crawford is getting over his left hand. Now, in a sport of secrets, after things like car crashes, something seems to be wrong, in my opinion, with Spence's left shoulder. At least Spence isn't throwing high, straight left hands. Let me say this, when you're fighting a guy who's defensively blessed and he realizes that you can't hit him with something stiff with your dominant hand, that's going to open the door to the guy realizing that he doesn't have to defend your dominant hand high. He just has to defend it midsection and low. Crawford has that opportunity for most of this fight. Then we get to the fourth round and the dam breaks. Both fighters start off with body attacks, but you're noticing something new. This is how deep Terrence Crawford is. It's in the fourth round that you start to notice Crawford's left hand in a fight where Crawford already got a knockdown in the second round with his right hand. Right, Crawford's throwing that left hand more. He's throwing it to Spence's head. Let's do the Buddy McGirt math. Crawford is a southpaw in the first round. Crawford's a southpaw in the second round. Crawford's a southpaw in the third round. Okay, that's three rounds together. This is Crawford in the fourth round, folks. From this point forward, it's Crawford's fight. Now, George Foreman must have been nauseous because Spence is now in a full-blown boxing match. 
Crawford is taking over the lead and is content fighting in a pocket. He isn't trying to walk down Spence just to force Spence to box him. Crawford is just coming over not only Spence's left hand, he starts coming over Spence's right hand. At the start of the fifth, I'm not sure what happened. I deliberately haven't read a lot of reports on the fight before making this video. But it looks like the doctor comes in the ring to speak with Spence. Maybe there's a concern over eye concerns or who knows what in the comment section. Let me know. But just to understand, the fifth round features Crawford dominance. He is landing at will. What I want people to do, too, is to look at the CompuBox numbers here. If you feel this fight was a one-off, how do you explain the fact that after the early rounds, Crawford starts landing more than 50% of his shots in round after round? What do you think is going to happen at 154? if Crawford is able to land more than 50% of his shots. Right, folks? Once the two guys acclimated to each other, Crawford starts sharpshooting. Look at the CompuBox numbers. Right? Crawford above 50% doesn't bode well for a competitive rematch. This isn't a situation where we can sit there and say, Errol Spence is drained for this fight. Right? It's deeper than that. Errol Spence is practically defenseless for this fight. And, of course, Crawford's a guy who's only going to get better. So just understand, Crawford is landing his jab. It's a right jab out of a uh, southpaw stance routinely over Spence's low left hand. Spence eventually starts throwing a high left, but understand it doesn't have any power on it. Right? Crawford is able to just shake it off. Crawford is keeping Spence where he wants him toward the middle of the ring. When Spence goes low, Crawford makes him pay. I'm going to fast forward now to the seventh round. In the seventh round, Crawford allows Spence to back him up to the ropes. That's how it seemed to me. I never got the feeling after the third round that Crawford is forced anywhere. If Crawford was over by the ropes, it's because Crawford is looking at Spence and is saying, okay, great, let me get him to open up so I can have more counterpunching opportunities. So Crawford allows Spence to back him up to the ropes. But understand, Spence continues to be defenseless on his left side after throwing punches. I believe Crawford's real game is to wait for the next opening. So Spence throws the low left and Crawford, a southpaw, counters with his right hand. The same right hand that gets him the first knockdown gets him knockdown number two in the fight. Then, of course, Crawford decides, okay, I've... I've done my share of being over by the ropes this round. He gets Spence over by the ropes and throws a short right hand. 
And you know what happens. Spence goes down. Right? Folks, this, this is domination. This is what it looks like. This isn't dehydration. This is Crawford with a learning curve confirming what he saw on film, realizing that Spence can't beat him being a jabber because Crawford isn't going to walk into Spence's jab, knowing that he has the superior game than Spence everywhere in the ring except if Spence pins him up on the ropes. Then when Spence comes over to pin him up on the ropes, Spence has a tendency to throw low shots to the other guy's body. Crawford has those blocked. And Crawford then has clean counters. Has anyone noticed, too, Crawford has two defensive stances. He has the rabbit ear stance where he has his hands up like this. Right Then he crosses his hands where he has a hand under his chin like this. Here's a tip-off. When you see Terrence cross his hands, he's going to get offensive. That's what I noticed, right? Crawford also has it so that he has one hand up here. He has another hand just dangling by his right side to get between his body and Errol Spence's left hands to the body, right? So Crawford has solved Errol Spence. I'm hoping Errol Spence talks with his team. If I'm Errol Spence, I don't exercise the rematch clause. Moving to 150 is not going to do a thing for me. Let's remember when Oscar fought Floyd. Floyd did not gain the weight for the new weight class. Floyd was several pounds lighter than Oscar for their fight. Right, Because Floyd understood, hey, his game, his defensive game, where he figured out how to stop De La Hoya defensively. His defensive game was going to allow him to neutralize the extra pounds Oscar had. Right here, the thing with Crawford, he's a closer, he's a defensively blessed closer. He had Errol Spence solved. To the point where when Spence gets him over by the ropes later in the fight, he doesn't even clinch Spence. There's no desperation. He has figured out how to move his upper body, get out of the way. He knows the angles at which Spence is throwing his punches. What's going to happen between now and a rematch at 154? Is Spence going to learn defense on the level that Terrence Crawford knows defense? Folks, that doesn't happen in your 30s. I'm just telling you. What's going to happen between now and 154? Is Spence going to learn how to come up with a new plan of attack with different punches in one fight against a defensive master who he can't be himself against? No, that's, that's not going to happen. Right? Understand, too, the element of surprise is gone. Right? Foreman saying you don't box a boxer. Okay, fine. 
But now in this relationship, Crawford Spence, Crawford's the closer. Crawford knocked Spence down multiple times. Now there might not be a boxer between the two of them. Next time, Crawford might come in and Crawford might know, hey, look, this brother is not going to figure out how to defend his left side, how to raise his dominant right hand to block my right hand, his dominant left hand to block my right hand, which knocked him down multiple times the first time. Right, so if I'm Spence at this point, and a lot of it's a private conversation, how bad off is his eye? Right? How slowed down are his reflexes? Understand, when you've been draining your body for years to make weight at 147, I'm just telling you that ages you. Right now, he can have extra meals. Maybe he'll be like Bernard Hopkins was at light heavy, after Hopkins gained weight, stopped training his body, and then had a run as a light heavyweight champ, right? Beat Antonio Tarver, who had beaten Roy Jones Jr., right? Had a run. Maybe Spence will become Bernard Hopkins, but understand, Bernard was always a cerebral fighter. Bernard was always a guy who paid attention to defense, Right, that's who B-Hop was. Right, I would argue that Errol Spence's game has always been more of a young man's game. That Errol Spence's game might not be tailor-made for aging. Right, aging well really belongs to those defensive guys who know how to make adjustments. Nonito Denier, he lost on the undercard. Okay, fair enough. But Denier's 40 now. Has anyone figured that out? Daenerys had a nice run in his older age. He's the guy who gave, in a way, his toughest fight. Understand, the reason Daenerys was able to do that is Daenerys very good defensively. He's always paid attention to defense. It's clear from this fight that Errol Spence hasn't paid as much attention to defense. As, in my opinion... Bernard Hopkins, the executioner, or a Nonito Denier. Right, so if I'm, if I'm Spence, I really ask myself whether I should continue my career. Understand, too, the gold standard at 154 is Spence's good buddy, his boy, Jamel Charlo. Right, you might not want to fight Charlo just for relationship reasons. Right? Charlo's practically a member of Spencer's family. Let's talk about Terrence Crawford. Crawford also needs to ask himself whether he wants to continue fighting. I, I get it. Jamel is undisputed at 154. Right? If Jamel loses to Canelo and is available at 154, a Crawford-Jamel Charlo fight would be huge, right? It'd be much tougher for Crawford than this fight because Charlo moves. Charlo's episodic. Charlo's what George Foreman's talking about, 
right? Don't box a boxer. Jump in. Be episodic. When you're in the pocket, be throwing shots. Don't wait on Terrence Crawford. Then get out of there. That's the fight Charlo would likely fight. Understand, if Charlo beats Canelo, I'm guessing there's a rematch clause. I'm guessing Canelo would want revenge. Right, so Charlo would have to be coming off a loss to be available for Terrence Crawford. What I want Crawford to think about is understand those of us who are a little bit older, who have some gray, remember some great fighters who, if they had walked away a little bit earlier, would be remembered completely differently. Right? Ali stumbles against Leon Spinks, a fighter with less than 10 pro fights, loses the first fight, wins the rematch. Right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't Ali have a glow had he stayed away from the sport? You forget how gruesome his fight was against Larry Holmes. That fight's so bad, folks, that Larry Holmes starts urging the ref during the fight to stop the fight. Right? We forget Ali continued on, fought Trevor Burbeck. Right? Roy Jones, I'm just telling people, had Roy Jones quit the sport after becoming the heavyweight champion, we would think of him completely differently than we do now. Right? Now, boxing needs its heroes. You know, just like track and field, where before a race, you know what the world record is. Right? There's something to shoot for. You know, you remember the person who set the world record. In boxing, guys just can't stay away, can they? So if I'm Terrence Crawford, I would pick up the phone right now, and I would call Joe Calzaghe, retired unbeaten. Let's remember his last two fights, Bernard Hopkins and Roy Jones. Then he walks away from the sport. Right? Understand, they're always going to be young guys. In Calzaghe's case, there was Carl Froch, who we didn't fight. In Crawford's case, he's undisputed at Welter. There's Jaron Ennis, who wants Crawford badly. Right? But understand, even if Crawford fights Ennis and beats Ennis, there's going to be other people are going to step out of the woodwork, who the public is going to say, well, can you beat him? At some time, you're going to have to say when. Crawford's older than Spence. Crawford's, what, 35 or something like that. I'm just telling you that there's a big difference between walking away undefeated, Andre Ward, another person I would call, and going through the later part of a career where we'll call it the Michael Jordan as a Washington wizard part of your career where people start to look at you as mortal and when they do retrospectives on your life they never really cover that part of your career if I'm Terrence Crawford if I have money in the bank and understand there's always going to be some money out there for great older fighters 
some of the guys feel that continuing to fight was the best part of their career. Larry Holmes, because he got paid a lot of money. Right? But if you're interested in legacy, and if you understand that being unbeaten at this stage of your career is really a gift, and if you're in the conversation with, you know, the standard bearers of the sport, there are going to be a lot of people out there wondering who was a better welterweight, Floyd, Ray Robinson, Terrence Crawford. Right, folks? He's in the conversation. Understand, Crawford is on a knockout streak. Right? Food for thought. I would argue Crawford is better defensively than Ray Robinson. Right? I know that's heresy. You know, I'll concede Ray Robinson's better offensively than Mayweather and um, Crawford. But just to understand, these are the conversations. That's your goal when you're a fighter, to get in the conversation. Where folks are sitting around talking about the best heavyweights in history. You know, someone mentions Joe Lewis. Someone mentions Lennox Lewis. Somebody else mentions you. Right? That's what fighters want. Crawford has that. What he's done here is unprecedented. Right? Should Crawford even continue fighting if Spence doesn't want the rematch? And after this fight, Spence might not want the rematch. If I'm Spence, if I want to continue my career, right, I would move to 154, right, because losing the weight really hurts him. He looked like a skeleton in the photos I saw right after the weigh-in, right, looked like a skeleton. If I'm Errol Spence, I go to 154, I would never fight Jamel Charlo. To me, that would be like the Klitschko's fighting each other. I would never fight Jamel Charlo. Tim Zhu is there. Understand, because Jamel, and I give him credit, is moving up two weight classes to fight Canelo, he might never return to 154. That's just how the body works, right? I know Kell Brook was able to come back down after the Golovkin fight. Some would argue that Kell Brook wasn't Kell Brook afterwards. Some would argue Roy Jones dropping from heavy was no longer Roy Jones. Right? If Jamel Charlo moves on and he's in his 30s, Errol Spence needs to ask himself whether it's worth it to continue his career against Tim Zhu and the other guys uh, at 154, right? If I'm Terrence Crawford, it's really a profound moment for me. Because understand, while there's money out there, and it's big money for him, if Spence decides not to continue and decides not to exercise that rematch clause, is there a better time for Crawford to retire than after this epic fight? Right? Let me just say, had Ray Leonard great fighter, retired after the Hagler fight. How would you remember it? Right, understand, Ray did some great things after that Hagler fight. He wins the light heavyweight title against Donnie Lalonde. Right, how much more did that put a shine on Ray's career or would beating a great middleweight champion 
have been enough for you. The idea of Ray being out of the ring for years, coming back and beating Hagler, wouldn't that have been enough for you to think of Ray Leonard when you're thinking of the very best? Right? Ray's in the conversation with Mayweather, with Robinson, and now with Crawford in that weight range. Well, that's how I see it. Let me hear from you. Crawford showed you why he's Terrence Crawford. Folks, the fight was not that close. I encourage you to look at the CompuBox numbers. Count the rounds where Terrence Crawford is landing more than 50% of his punches against a guy who was unbeaten, who came into the fight with all of the belts but one at welterweight. That's the fight I saw. Let me hear from you. Tell us in the comment section what Spence could have been doing differently, how Spence could have improved this performance if he could have. Thanks for stopping by. I look forward to your comments.